Today we're taking a break in our series called The Gospel. However, we never take a break from the gospel. The reason is because once the gospel has its grip on you, it does not let you go. In fact, you'll never go a Sunday here without hearing the gospel and how it changes everything for you. And we've been walking through that series. We're taking a break today, but I still have to tell you this. The word gospel literally means good news. It is not advice about how you should live, but news about something that has been done for you. News about something that is happening to you now, and news about something that will one day happen to you. And so the question is, why are we taking a break from the series? Well, well, the reason is because last week I preached at another church. And this is the first time I've been able to do this. We have churches that come behind us and support us because we're a new church. And they believe in what we're doing, and they've been asking for me to come and preach at their churches, but I haven't been able to until now we have this great preaching team. I preached last week, so I've been able to get away to preach at these churches that have been asking me to come. And I figured, let's talk about what I talked about last week at this other church, because they're in a series on the life of David. And they looked at, we looked at, the verse between the friendship between David and Jonathan. And it's perfect for us to talk about because we're probably in the middle of changing one of our values as a church. So we have a value called community. And here's the problem with this value that we have on community is that when you look at community, it's so abstract. You, how do we become this church of this great community of people? Who really like encompass what it means to be a church, and it becomes so intangible. But if you look at friendship, and you see what it's like to be a friend, and you learn to be a good friend, naturally, good community is produced. So, it's perfect for us to talk about. And there is a great tragedy in churches all over the world today. There are countless numbers of sermons on marriage on parenting, on being a good church member, on being a good neighbor, but very rarely do you find sermons or books on what it means to be a good friend. And today we're going to look at not just what it means to be a good friend, but what biblical friendship is meant to be. And what I have found is that we all long for great friends, friends that we trust, friends that aren't going to let us down, friends that have our back, friends that fight for us, friends that when we're messing up our life a bit, they're not afraid to tell us, but they do it with wisdom. Just good friends. And we all long for that. And here's what I want to propose to you today. You're most likely thinking, I need friends like that. And if you're saying that, you're going about it all your life to being a good friend, you're going to find at the end of your life that you have this pile of great friends. Now, I will say this. You can't love everybody equally the same time, all of the time. There's not enough of you to go around. That is a reality. However, it's about your posture. Do you have a posture of a good friend? So let me read our verses. This is the story of David and Jonathan becoming friends. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, so, so by the way, David has just defeated Goliath, and, and Jonathan 
is the king's son. So here's what happens. As soon as he had heard finish, finish speaking to Saul, who was the king, the soul of Jonathan, who was the prince, was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him on that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he had loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. Okay, first point. Friendship is covenantal. In verse 3, it says that Jonathan made a covenant with David. Now, what does that mean? Well, a covenant is about a promise, a a promise of commitment. A covenant is like a promise that has been sealed in blood. In other words, it's a promise of friendship that Jonathan will not break. This idea of covenant comes from our relationship with God. So watch, watch what Jonathan does. Watch what God does with you. So God has promised you he will never leave you or forsake you, that his love for you is relentless. It is not stopping. He's constantly chasing you down. And when your heart wanders away, he's still there following you around. And you take that truth that God feels for you and acts towards you, and it penetrates into you, and then it begins to ooze out of you. Towards your friends. Secondly, God has made a promise of unconditional love, meaning He will never leave you or forsake you. There's nothing you can no no. There's nothing you can do or not do that's going to make God love you more or less. So He's always for you, not against you, seeking you. And you can have this list of good things that you have done. It doesn't change his love for you. You can have this list of bad things that you have done. It doesn't change his love for you. Through your faith in Christ, his love is constant. That same truth then enters into you, and then like a flood coming out of you, enters into your friendships. Now, when you have friends like that, what you now have are people in your life that you can trust. And they'll know the worst of you, and they don't take off running, but they stay, and they're for you, and they fight for you. Now, if you're saying, man, I really need some friends like that, again, you're going about it all wrong. First, you must be that kind of friend to others. If Jesus, back up me, here we go. If Jesus waited for you to pursue him, he'd still be waiting right now today with open arms. But he hasn't. 
He's come after you. And here's what I'm saying. The Christian always makes the first move. That's who we are. That's what we're about. That's what is in us. If Jesus would have waited, he'd still be waiting today. Now, when we think about friendship, I want to tell you this. Men, we're pretty much the worst at it. Because why? Well, we're rugged individuals. We need no one, and we stand up upon the mountain like heroes who take on any battle all alone. And the premise of Christianity is the exact opposite of that. That's actually why we find constantly more women in churches than men, because the premise of Christianity is you need something. You need help. You are not the David that faced Goliath, but you are the one who stood on the sidelines as your Savior Christ fought against the Goliath of death and won. You need him badly. And so to become a Christian is to admit you're weak and you need him, but he makes you stronger than you would have been had you not gone to him. And not only that, what is the church called? The church is called the body of Christ. That means if you need Christ, you need each other. Meaning you need friendships. And if you don't have them, you are actually a weaker person than you would have been. Well, you need friendships. It makes you stronger. Now, when I say all that, men, we typically run from this idea because we want to be strong. We want to pretend like we don't need anybody. David and Jonathan, though, I mean, they were meat-eating warriors. They stood against armies without fear, against giants without fear. And yet the closeness of their friendship and their need for each other makes us a bit uncomfortable because we're not used to it. Now, I will tell you this. When you go through something difficult enough with someone, it does bind you to them. Two people go off and fight in a war together. They come back bound to one another. And they're willing to be vulnerable with each other because of what they have been through. When you've gone through difficulties with someone, you're willing to be bound to them more so than had you not gone through those difficulties. Now, here's why I tell you this. Every single person who is a Christian has had a painful event in their life. And it's the painful event of their initial faith. What do I mean? Well, when you become a Christian, here's what you're doing. You're saying all the good things that you have done, all the ways that you have tried so hard throughout all your life, you're taking this beautiful record and you're counting it as rubbish, you're throwing it down and you're lighting it on fire so that you could take the record of Christ and go to God the Father and say, God, don't love me and accept me because of what I've done, but what Christ has done on my behalf. And I'm telling you, if you've done it, it hurts. And it hurts more often than you realize because every single day you're tempted to say, God, love me because of this, because of all that I've done. And it is painful to take all the good things that you've done and to count it as rubbish so that you might gain Christ. There is a death to yourself involved in that. You are dying to the things that you have done so you can take the life of Christ and offer it to God. That is something to bond over. That's something that friendship is. Now, friendship is risky. And here's why I say that. 
Because what true friendship is, is you're taking your heart and you're making it vulnerable with somebody. You're offering it to them. C.S. Lewis talks about the heart, and he says to love is risky. But he also says if you don't take the risk of being vulnerable with your heart, then you're taking your heart and you're locking it up in a coffin, shutting it so that it is protected. Only when you do that, you make your heart impenetrable and irredeemable. So friendship is risky, but it's a good risk. And this is supposed to be what the church is made up of. People who are willing to be vulnerable with each other, to take the risk of loving each other, knowing, and and you know very well that it is risky because many of you have been hurt by your friends in the past and you've had to forgive them or maybe you haven't yet. But if you're going to do this, you have to go into it the right way and you have to be very aware that you are being vulnerable, you're being risky, you're letting your heart be shown and you know that at some point your friend is going to mess up and they're going to take a knife to your heart and it's going to hurt. And you're going to have to forgive them. Or else friendship will not survive. And you move on from one friend to the next to the next. God makes himself vulnerable in Christ. Who comes down to this earth. And there vulnerable. Laying down all of his power. He becomes the lamb of God. And we then take his vulnerability. And we throw him up upon the cross. And there on that cross, he says, Father, forgive them for they have no idea what they're doing. Ready to forgive because he knows that that's what friendship is made of. So we have to learn to forgive. If you want to to have friends, you're going to have to learn how to forgive them. It's just the way that it is. So friendship is covenantal, first. Second, friendship is humble and sacrificial. This is our second point. Something that's often overlooked between the relationship of Jonathan and David is that Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne. He was the prince. And right after he defeats Goliath, he goes up to David, gives him his sword, his belt, his robe, and his armor. All of Israel would have been talking about this because what David has just done is given, what Jonathan has just done is given David his throne. All commentators say this, and if you don't believe it, look a few chapters later, and Jonathan is saying to David, David, the throne is yours, while Jonathan is the rightful heir. Now, you've got to think about what's just happened here. David goes into this, wanders into this battle, not even prepared to be in a battle. He's got a sling and a few stones. He goes up to Goliath takes him down, leaves with the most famous sword of all the Philistine army. It's his. And then the prince, the firstborn of the king, the one who is heir to the throne, gives him his sword and his armor. David entered into this battle with a sling and some stones, and he leaves with some of the most valuable pieces in all the kingdom, a treasure. And he gets a room in the king's house. This is all the making of a new prince. And look at this. Jonathan willingly gave it to him. He was humble enough to realize God was up to something in David, and he was sacrificial enough to take all of the things that he treasured most and to give them to him because he saw that God was up to something. Now, that's Jonathan, David's friend. 
But Jonathan's father, Saul, the king, saw that God was up to something in David, and he fought him. He was against him. In fact, what we see is that he continuously will try to kill David out of jealousy that is burning deep inside of him. Now, I don't know if you've experienced this, but jealousy is one of the greatest enemies of friendship. Jealousy looks like taking a ladder, putting it next to your friend, climbing up that ladder, and then tying a weight around their neck and dropping that weight so that they could stay low and you stay up above them. But in biblical friendship, what happens is the Christian brings themselves low underneath their friend, puts their hands underneath their feet, and hoists them up. The same way that Jonathan, who was the rightful king, brought himself low and lifted up David into the throne. Jonathan could have fought him, but he didn't. Now, usually, what brings friends together is a mutual interest in something. They're both good at something, they both love something. But here's the problem. That very thing that they both love could be the very thing that destroys their friendship. Because when you love something and you're good at it, and someone else comes along and they're better at it than you, well, a spark of jealousy comes. And then that jealousy continues to fester and you're holding it in. And maybe they're successful at their job. Maybe they're, you think they're prettier than you. Whatever it might be, it starts stirring in you. But you're holding it in. But then one day you say something to somebody. Because what you're doing, you're, you're seeing their success and what you want to do is tear them up. Because you want to elevate yourself above them. But you're keeping it in, but then one day it slips out and you say it to somebody. And somebody says, oh yeah, I never noticed that about them. And then you kind of feel a little bit better. You're lifted up a little bit higher and it feels really good. A bunch of endorphins or whatever start firing off in your brain and you feel good. And then it just continues to fester until what's happened is you've just destroyed your friendship. And you've broken the covenant, the covenantal bond that you have made with them. The only way to keep good friends is by knowing that God is up to something in them and you can lift them up into what God is doing. Now, Jonathan gave up far more for David than you will likely ever give up for any of your friends. He gave him the throne. He brought himself low to lift David up. Now, if all of us did this for each other, it's what the Bible calls outdoing one another and showing honor. Everybody is fighting to see who could bring themselves the lowest to lift each other up. That's a beautiful picture. That's what the church is meant to be. The only way you'll get there, the only way you'll be able to bring yourself low to lift others up is by seeing that Christ has done the same. Let me read this to you. This is incredible. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, everything I'm about to tell you, do this with your friends. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore... 
God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is what God has done for you. The only shot you have at not raging with jealousy, the only shot you have at not being sick with jealousy when your friends succeed, is by seeing the pattern of God and what he's done for you. And when you forget it, and jealousy starts burning in your heart, you have in that moment forgotten your God who has brought himself so low to lift you up out of the hellish abyss that you were falling into. But when you remember it, it rescues you from that jealousy. Christ gave up more for you than you ever will for your friend. So friendship is, co- is about a covenant, a commitment. It's about humble sacrifice. And then third, friendship is fierce. Later on in chapter 20, I didn't read it because it's just too long of a story, we see David and Jonathan devising a plan to figure out if Saul the king, Jonathan's father, is still trying to kill David. And what they find is that the answer is yes. And Jonathan took a great risk to find this out. His very life was at stake to find out what he found out. He's essentially becoming part of the one who threats, who is a threat to his own father's throne by supporting David. Jonathan uses everything at his disposal to fight for David. So in a way, in this friendship, David has nothing to bring to the table. And Jonathan has all the power in the kingdom. Now, in a typical friendship, what you find, it looks more like a business relationship. So, if I can get something from you, and you can get something from me, well, that's good. We should be friends, because we can both benefit from this friendship. But Jonathan has nothing to gain and everything to lose in his friendship with David. But in another sense, he gains a friend but he also gains the kingdom of God. And there it is. I need you to be honest with yourself right now and admit that you want your own kingdom more than you want God's kingdom. There are things in your life that you want that God doesn't want for you but you'd rather have the things that you want. And so you want your kingdom over God's kingdom. And what happens is you look at someone and they can help you build their kingdom, your kingdom. And you can help them build their kingdom and so it becomes a friendship. But with David and Jonathan, they are both seeking the kingdom of God. And that is why they can have this kind of friendship where they're committed to each other. That's why they can have this friendship where they're humble and sacrificial. And that's why they can fight for each other, because they're fighting for the very kingdom of God to come in each other's life and through each other's life. Now, the the question is, do you really believe it's true? Do you really believe in your heart that God's kingdom is worth seeking more than your own? Laying aside everything that you want and taking up what God is up to. Because if you do, you're going to see that there is a painful gain in that. 
that you're giving up your kingdom for the sake of the kingdom of God. Because there's always a death before life. There's always a sacrifice for gain because the cross always comes before the resurrection. So fierce friendships are about this painful gain of giving up your own kingdom and together seeking to build the kingdom of God. Now, let's be realistic. What I have just laid out is very rare and probably feels impossible. But what I'm talking about here is a whole church adopting this mindset. And it will never happen until you fix your eyes on the King of Kings who was a friend to you when you were no friend to him. Jesus says, no greater, light, no greater love is there than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. And he says, you are my friends. And for you, you watched on as he stepped out to face the Goliath of death. Only he lost. He was swallowed up by it. But it was a trick. Because there, inside of death, that is when he went to war. And inside of death, he fought death and killed it from the inside. And then, as he broke through, he lifts you up out of death into life. That is a king. That is the only king worth giving up your kingdom for, worth giving up your crown for, worth giving up your throne for. So you, like Jonathan, right now, it's like you're the heir of the throne. It's yours. And your job right now is to say, no, I don't want the throne. I want to give it to Christ because he is the greater king. He is the greater friend. And when you find him, He will then empower you to be the kind of friend to others as he has been to you. Let's pray. Father, I pray for our church, for our people, for all of us, that we would learn to be the kind of friend to each other as you've been to us. That we would learn to take the risk and be vulnerable, and that when we are hurt, we would forgive God, I pray that we would look at what you have done for us and let that empower us to live for each other as you've lived for us. God, I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.